this is Matt as well. Matt's Matt. going to run our boards. Hi, Matt. How are you, Matt? Byron, Jen, Jen, Byron, Matt. All right, let's start with some PE, please. Father, the sun is the center of the earth in the middle of the universe. Then why is this verse coming six times rehearsed? Don't freestyle much, but I write them like All right. Sun. Greetings and happy Wednesday. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio. It is the 29th day of November. If I'm, uh, hopefully I, I didn't mess that. Yeah, I'm right. The 29th day of November. Uh, I'm Welcome back, you guys. I hope you guys had an amazing Thanksgiving, a day filled of thanks and giving along with food, football, and family. Um, as I mentioned, the staples are out. Of, uh, I had a little bit of a glitch, hence why I was gone another week. But uh, all's good now, and I should be clear to walk again. So uh, I'm back on 100%. I'm super stoked. I've got a dynamite show for you guys tonight. I've got, we're going to talk all football. It's uh, It's been a crazy 100 hours of football, or actually last since Thursday, it's been nonstop for me. Uh, one of the bonuses of being injured or recovering from something with uh some great football going on. Uh, but in studio tonight, I've got two amazing individuals, uh, both on the field and off the field. Both have a very strong academic background uh, and both professional players uh, and coaches. So a uh, two-time po- Super Bowl champion, a tight end for the Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, and the Washington Redskins, uh, along with being a, a pro bowler for them as well. Um, drafted in the 1995 draft, round seven, Pick 222, which I think is such a rad number. Um, Anyways, Mr. Byron Chamberlain is in studio. And then just to his left, phenomenal running back as well, a former professional running back for the Texas Revolution, a special teams and linebacker coach as well for them. Uh, With the Arizona Cardinals, a linebacking coach, uh, coming in with a master's in sports medicine from BC and a PhD in psychology from Capella University. I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Jen Welter. All right. Now and then we, I, I've got their I mic check that a little bit though. It's not sports medicine. It's sports psychology. Oh, so, both from Capella. <laughs> oh, oh, and oh. I'm. I would never claim to be a dynamite running back. Um, I was a dynamite linebacker. Uh, running back was something I was kind of tossed into, but much better tackler than any other side of the ball. Well, and that actually was going to be one of my questions because mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and I guess we're going to go straight into. It. There's been so much going on in the NFL this week and in with college. I mean, Saturday was crazy. Um, and, you know, and I'll, um, where am I going? I'm all over the place today. I'm excited. It's all football today. And so I can't, I'm permagrinning. Well, I'm going to no. first, I'm just going to shout out like, uh, Byron and I had that moment where football becomes a very small community very quickly. And, and when you're good, you have a lot of people in common and we have two of my favorite linebackers in common. Yeah. Marcus Golden and, um, Sean Witherspoon. And we were debating on. Whose, whose guys they were, and I guess they could be both of our guys. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely but, uh, <laughs> both my guys. I, those are guys that, uh, you know, I went to University of Missouri and went back there and coached there uh, for a year and um, actually did some mentoring with some of the guys there. And two of those guys are, are guys that I've known since, you know, they stepped on campus there at Mizzou. So, and guys, they're impressive guys. They're great guys. I love, love them both. They really are. And both of them were with me when I was in Arizona and, you know, Sean Weatherspoon was in the inside linebackers room with me and Marcus was an outside linebacker, which I actually played outside linebacker more than inside. So at times, you know, Marcus was just a guy that I, I really liked. And you know I was a tight end, right? So yeah, I just don't get along with outside linebackers. We, 
<laughs> that is that is like oh, that's like oil and water right there, man. I know that was you know? that was probably my biggest uh, challenge in Arizona is that I thought that they should jam the tight ends more, but that's fine. Oh, I like you know. that. Well, no, but Byron, I mean, I, I, I mean, high school, everybody plays both sides of the ball. So what did you play in high school? Did you only play tight end in high school? No, I played, okay. re- I played receiver in high school. Okay. Um, and I went to high school in Texas, and I went to this huge high school, and you didn't play both sides of the ball. Either you had to pick offense or defense. And, you know, back then we had, on our varsity team, we had 65 guys. So you had enough for, for – Offense and defense, so you, and and there was a lot of talent there too. So, you you really had to be very very special um, to play offense and defense. So most guys didn't. Well, and let's go one step farther. Then I mean, currently right now, Dory Jackson. I mean, former chart, former Trojan, but playing playing both sides of the ball and special teams as well. Um, I mean, in college, I was odd that he played it for USC. In the NFL, with the Titans right now, he is doing it. Yeah. yeah that's- there's a that, few guys. There's that a few that. guys that, that that have done it, but those are those are rare special athletes. And Dory Dory fits in that category. I mean, you you've seen guys, you know, like uh, Charles Woodson's that's done yeah. it, and, and the uh, you know Deion Sanders, or you know, have done that. And Deion, in my opinion, is the, like the most gifted athlete on the face of the planet ever. Oh, yeah. uh, but you know, those are guys that once you get to that level, you know, that's, that's the the rarest of the rare. It is, and it's the size, especially at a tight end position. You know, um, that's a it's a special athlete who has to already be able to do a lot of things. You know, um, you have to be able to be in the run game and the pass game. So some of those defensive guys, if they have hands, you know, it used to be the joke that you play on defense because you don't have hands. <laughs> but when they do, um, they can come in and be a special part of a great package. And that's what you see. You used to see that with, like, Mike Vrabel's done it. J.J. Mm-hmm. Watt has done it. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's one of those things, anytime you see somebody doing it on defense, you have to go, hey, uh, something's about to happen. But you listen to the names that we just brought up, the yeah, Vrabels, very... the J.J. Watts, the Saint Dion. Saint, I mean, those are special athletes. Yeah. Those guys, I mean, this is, that's a rare thing. It's not like, you know, some guy who's a pretty good athlete here and we're going to stick him on defense mm-hmm. or we're going to stick him on all. No, it's... It, just doesn't happen and in special think, situations too. But don't you think recently, though, that the that situation in the NFL now is embracing good guy hands with good defensive players with good hands now more so than they did before? Uh, it's a situational uh, thing. Yeah, I wouldn't, I don't, say, I wouldn't more say more. So. Yeah, I would agree with you. I say yeah, more. it's and that's a really special occurrence, right? Like that's a red zone thing typically, and. You need a guy with the size and the strength who can get off and get open, right? Like when they've done it with JJ. Yeah, Watt. I've seen. You know, when I played, there was a uh, um, times that the Chargers would put Junior Seau yeah. at Another at tight end. Player. You know, and Junior was an incredible tight end at uh, Oceanside High yeah. School. No, an uh, incredible two way player at, at Oceanside, and so with Coach Carroll, they they would stick him down there, and uh, you know, he he could he could do. You know things that some tight ends and then that that started in the NFL couldn't do. So, That's right. but but you know we're talking about a Hall of Famer, a special talent. I used to laugh. I knew um, I played a lot on. Well, I wouldn't say a lot situationally on offense um, when I was with the Diamonds, and it was really so I could play defense on offense. Like I was like, if anybody watched this tape too too hard, they would know it's about to be these run plays to here because I was one of the people who had the strength speed 
combination to be able to get out in front of our fastest running backs. And that's what it was. I didn't really have any interest in necessarily catching the ball or running the ball. I was going to play defense on offense. And so you, you really have to know your athletes and what they're uh, there to do. Yeah, this is true. And uh, Byron's taking a picture or a video. I'm not sure. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, oh, you know, and you, you speak like for me, what I look at, too, and I watching films, I'm always watching the tight ends and wide receivers that are blocking. And that's what I hear from Brandon Malamalayuna. When I asked him about you, Byron, he said he is not the typical tight end as in today or back then when you were playing. You were actually a phenomenal. You made creases in the on the edge, um, great hands, con- constant blocking tight end as well. Well, the, the thing was, you know, I played receiver in high school and in college. And um, my first year in the NFL, they kind of messed around with putting me at tight end a little bit. And uh, the second year is kind of the year where I kind of committed to playing the tight end position. So for me, I always knew that I was a great, great route runner, great hands. I could do all that. So the, the majority of my focus was to uh, in, in the blocking, in blocking and in the running game. Um, and just so happens we had this, this incredible uh, talent at running back who just got in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. uh, who happened to be my best friend, Terrell Davis. And so you knew if you were going to get on the field, if you're going to get any time on the field, you had to block. You had to 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 concentrate and and put all your effort into you know making those those holes for them because we were a team that was going to be committed to running Terrell uh, at least 25, 30 times a game sometimes. So uh, that was that was my focus of, of trying to become uh, the best blocker that I could possibly become because I understood that was my weakness in my game. And um, I always took it like, um, you know, I heard this story about Michael Jordan, about when he first got into the NBA. Always, you know, he was he was phenomenal from day one. But the, the knock on him was he couldn't shoot the jumper and he didn't play defense. And that's the only thing he would work on in the offseason, he says, was playing defense and his jump shot. And you saw how he became a, a, a just an all around. I mean, he was all he's the greatest ever, but. You know, at the end of his career, he, you know, he had that one series where he set the record, knocking down like six three pointers in in the first half of a championship game, and and so that's what I did. You know, I really focused on my blocking, and and, and I learned from uh, Shannon Sharp, who was another right. Hall of Fame guy. Yeah, um, that's who was ahead. Of, Dwayne was- Carswell, who was probably to me, in my opinion, the best blocking tight end in the NFL, and you know, you don't get any you know, press for being a blocking tight end, uh, but he, the, the guy was phenomenal. So, but that was, that was something I really worked at and, and trying to just become a complete player. To me as a linebacker, that's always the difference maker. That's what I would watch um, on the tight ends, yeah. knowing what their blocking structure will look like, or even receivers when you're trying to pick them up is knowing their blocking tendencies. And if they, if they were in there for the right reasons and that they wanted to get their hands dirty, that's what we would say. Um, and it kind of makes me think of, you know, the greats want to be great at all aspects of their game, just like you said. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with uh, Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. And another, one of another guy we another, have in common, yeah, another, another guy we have in common. Well. <laughs> and, but, you know, the thing is, in some people, if you, if you watch Larry tangentially, you wouldn't realize this. But, um, you know, Bruce Arians really reinvented his career when he pulled him into the slot receiver um, and no longer was the wide out. And Larry and I were in camp one day. We were laughing. I was like, 
man, I know where they're going right now. And he just started laughing. He was like, yeah, yeah, Coach Jen, I, I still think that maybe my biggest was mistake was showing B.A. that I could block. <laughs> and, you know, it's a special guy who can be um, one of the greatest receivers in the NFL of all times who will get down and get dirty and lay that block. And, we, you know, I know that when he's in that position, that's something B.A. likes to do. And see, that's this is exactly why I tell everybody football is the most is the the best team sport ever. It is it is because you know blocking is the most unselfish thing that you can do. You know, actually putting your body on the line so somebody else can can get yards and score a touchdown and, and get the glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's necessary, and and you have to have that unselfish mindset. I'll give you a quick story uh, about you know our team in Denver. And because we all had that mindset and that's why we had, you know, the ability to win a couple of championships there. We play uh, Green Bay in San Diego, Super Bowl 32. Mm-hmm. Um, Rod Smith is our big play receiver. We have Ed McCaffrey, who's our um, kind of uh, control receiver. What do you, uh, you know, what do you call it? The, possession uh, possession receiver. receiver. Yeah. And, uh, and Rod's the big play guy. Rod Smith, when we get to the Super Bowl, it had a phenomenal year. He had a phenomenal AFC championship against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he's looking to have a big game. Well, Rod Smith blocks his butt off that game. I mean, like awesome effort. He's the and he's the downfield guy. And you know, most of the mm-hmm. speed guys, they don't like to block. Like but to Rod's the in sidelines. there. He's get he's getting his hands dirty, as you <laughs> and say. Not go down the middle either. He's getting his hands dirty. <laughs> and, you know, Terrell runs for 157 yards, Super Bowl record, three touchdowns, and we win the game. We're in the locker room because Rod's locker is right next to mine. And a guy reporter is asking him about not, he didn't catch a ball in mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. He's, and as a reporter asks him, you know, Rod, are you disappointed that you didn't get uh, to catch any balls and, and make any big plays in this game? And his reply was, you know what? We won the Super Bowl. And my ring is going to be the same size as everybody else's. And my Super Bowl bonus is going to be the same amount as everybody else's, man. What do I, what do I have to be not happy about, man? We just won the Super Bowl. so And just having that unselfish mindset it was a reason our team was so good. I remember that, that same mentality, and it really has to be, right? When you're a great player, uh, a receiver like that is going to pull double coverage, and that opens somebody else up, and then they're like, oh, well, he he was quiet this game. No, 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 that's called game planning, right? And we have to look what's open, and um, we were in a playoff game, and um, and my coach came up to me, and I was – it was a game where I only had probably two tackles. And he was like, Welter, you played an epic game today. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, they ran away from you all night. That's one of the best compliments you can yeah. give a defender is when the game plan is essentially okay. to not go your way, right? You see that yeah. with cornerbacks like Patrick Peterson all the time, um, the targets for him versus somebody else. And sometimes the greatest compliment in football is that you don't show up on the stat sheet and it's not because you're not good at your job. It's because you're one of the best. I was actually uh, on Inside the NFL, actually, uh, Ray Lewis was talking about uh, or they put on Suggs, and Suggs was on his presser saying that Ray Lewis gets in the stat sheet even when he doesn't have a tackle, you know. <laughs> but, no, that's a different one. Uh, but, again, two phenomenal players as well. All right, if you're just tuning in, you're tuned, um, this is Dash Radio. This is the Desiree Show, and I'm joined by uh, Byron Chamberlain. And, Byron, which is the best way to uh, follow you, or do you want people to follow you on Twitter yeah, or Instagram? Yeah, follow me Twitter Instagram. It's BC underscore Chamberlain. C-H-A-M-B-E-R-L-A-I-N. All right. 
And now I've got Dr. Jen Welter as well. And she's on Instagram and Twitter as well. Both the same for you. It's a B Welter. Uh, no, not no. B Welter. You, oh, you, you're giving me oh, his initials God. now. It's okay. Yeah. Um, on, I on, have yeah. you. I haven't been my, my A game today. That's all right. On, um, on Twitter, it's at J Welter 47 and on Instagram, it's Welter 47. You know, those athletes were kind of simple. It's that last name and number. <laughs> there you go. If you got the I mean, last you've been name, a name and, number. and a number for all your life. Right. So, yeah. Why stop now? <laughs> right on, right on. Um, okay. No, and no, I want to ask too. You know, I was raised, I was a running back. I mean, okay. I know you could tell by the physique. I mean, an old, for an old lady now. But I know I was a running back on, on the boys' team in third grade. Not a huge accolade. Um, but the passion to play and to do sports, sports has uh, been imperative in my life. I was a running back because I was raised going to USC football games. I was in the era of John McKay, John Robinson. Okay. So I watched Ricky Bell, Charles White, Marcus Allen play. Those are my heroes. Um, I had Lo- Lofa T- or, uh, Moise Tatupu, Lofa Tatupu's dad, um, Ronnie Lott, mm-hmm. uh, Vince Evans, another, I mean, very pioneer, you know, a huge pioneer in, in uh, football as, for, as the quarterback position. So I was a running back. Is that how either of you? became the positions you came, you became. Was there someone that you were raised watching, playing, that sort of, or a team that made you attracted to playing that position? No, for me it was, um, you know, obviously I didn't get to play football until after I finished college and I was a rugby player in college and I was just a darn good tackler. Um, I could bring anybody down. And it's funny when I first played because of my size, uh, they wanted to put me at receiver. And actually, I was in Massachusetts, and it was so funny because they had me so slotted to be a receiver that they got me receiver's pads. Well, I didn't know any different because I played with no pads and no helmets, so everything was a bonus. And the first day we really went live because it's Massachusetts, so we were in a gym. We didn't have a dome. We didn't have any of that. So you're going through a lot of walkthroughs and stuff. And um, I think somebody – because I had played some receiver and then some on defense, but it was a DB. It wasn't a linebacker because they were too small, too small, too small. And I think there was an interception because quarterback threw it, and I lit this girl up. And they were like, oh, hold on a minute, (laughs) right? This girl can hit. And so then I started going through more of the tackling drills. They immediately shipped me over to offense and one or to defense and one of the girls, Kathy Balduk, she was the middle linebacker on the team. She was a truck she was like, hey, this girl's going to get killed. And I'm like, what What happened? Like, I just made these great tackles. What's going on? She's like, get her out of these baby pads. Somebody get her some <laughs> real football pads. And so <laughs> it just kind of was a natural progression because even though I was small, I was a great tackler. Um, again, learned in rugby first. So you pretty much had me fearless. And and they always, the battle was always, well, she's so small like, let's, you know, should be a great safety, but I never really went backwards very well. I was just kind of a downhill person. I read really fast. And so the longer I played, actually, the closer I got to the ball. Um, ended up even being a speed rush uh, D lineman, some for the U.S. national team. So um, just went forward really well and, and tackled fearlessly. So I was an edge player most of my career, whether it was uh, D end or outside linebacker. Okay. My story is kind of, kind of unique to, um, you know, be, for an NFL player because I didn't play football growing up. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I watched it. Who did you watch? Um, I mean, I'd, I'd watch everything. I'd watch pro. I'd, I'd watch college football. I wasn't really. No specific team? N- not into a specific team. 
But the one aspect that I did love about the game was watching these guys make spectacular catches. I mean, that, to me, that was the thing. When the ball was in the air and you're seeing the guy coming up with it, whether you had to go up high or low or whatever, uh, that, that kind of attracted me. But growing up, I played uh, baseball and, uh, you know, played infield, played, uh, you know, third, second base. I played uh, a lot of ping pong growing up and I played a lot of tennis and golf. And so one thing is I, I really had very good eye-hand coordination. And, um, you know, when I throw a ball or whatever, um, I just had this incredible, incredible ability to catch anything. Um, and so once I started, I got to high school, and a guy I played baseball with kind of challenged me to go out for the high school football team uh, to try out. Um, that's when I got there. And, and the other thing that I love to do um, is I just love to run. Like I used to run everywhere around my neighborhood. Uh, my dad would always, my dad was a, a um, uh, he's a retired Marine. I know, I'm sorry, not Marine, Navy. My, my brother's a Marine. My dad was in the Navy forever and he retired. But my dad would get up every morning and go run five miles and I would go run with him. And I love to run. So when I got to play football, well, I love to run. I love to catch anything. It just was a natural fit to play receiver. Uh, and so I uh, did that and, you know, became, did did very well and, be, you know, became an All-American in college. And uh, and that's my story. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I, I'm, uh, I wanted to share a, few, a quote, a couple okay. of, another quote for Jen. Um, but no, we're going to have to play tennis. I was open as well in tennis. Okay. So um, that was my first sport. Hold on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Then we're playing. We need a fourth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who do we get to fourth as to play? I don't we know. Do I'm, like I'm a, finding a ringer. A, a, <laughs> 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 finding a ringer. Serena, what you doing, girl? <laughs> we're taking them all out. <laughs> I'm going to call Chris. No, I'm going to date myself. No, no. Or Martina. Um, No, but I mean, sports. um, Another thing, uh, sports has saved my life. Um, Skateboarding, snowboarding, everything was okay. Like I competed on the pro circuit for snowboarding and anything was okay as long as I got to get on the mountain. Um, Sports have saved my life throughout my my years. Um, And I'm assuming the same is true for you. When did you know that sports or... I mean, I think it's general for both of you that sports, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, saved your lives, essentially, or kept you focused, I should say. Well, for me, you know, I just I, I just love sports. I love anything, you know. And, uh, and you know, there, there's, a, there's this huge movement nowadays for kids to, like, concentrate on one sport, and a lot of a lot of parents are putting their kids only in one sport because they're hoping they can get a, a scholarship or whatever. Or go oh gosh, pro don't make me pull on the doctor cap. I, no, no, I'm uh, I'm putting on my doctor cap. Because I because this is I, I, t- I talk I talk about this all the time That's with the parents coming. Come it, it definitely and is social media too. But I mean, for it's for disgusting. me, like I played everything, mm-hmm. and I, I named some sports there: football. I mean, uh, baseball and tennis and golf. Uh, I mean, incredible love for golf. But I did everything. You talk about skateboarding and did that and water sports like surfing and, you know, and all that stuff. So but I think to me when I decided and I'm glad I didn't play football until high school, um, because when I decided to play football, I had a wealth of just skills that I had learned through other sports that I could bring to football. 
And that made me just that much better of a football player. Uh, you know, just the, you know, you know, playing basketball and the footwork that goes along with the bas- with bas- the lateral quickness that you need and for that. And the blocking that you, use, uh, that you used later. There ain't no blocking in basketball. Hey. <laughs> basketball is soft. Look, being able to position yourself. I'm positioning yourself, Position yes. yourself, well, it's absolutely. A, it's a pretty soft sport. <laughs> Hey. I always mess. I, I, I always mess with my basketball <laughs> with my basketball friends. Like, yeah, basketball. Stuff. Yeah, but, but, they but bring you know, their you know, feet. most the, blockers the, forget the, their feet. The balance that you get from riding a skateboard. Yeah. I mean, the core strength that you you need to, that you need from there. And falling, and I mean, every sport like every I feel is cross training. Like for another sport, I mean, you become so much more well rounded. I agree, like and 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 you know, like I said, and I I believe that is the reason that I was. To, able to become very successful playing football as I had a wealth of, of, of just skills, learned skills and, and from others, from other sports. And, and so, you know, for me, um, you know, everybody, every kid has that dream, but I didn't realize that I was working on my dream, doing all these other things and bringing all these other um, abilities and learned skills to the table. You know, one of the other things that a lot of people don't talk about with early specialization, and this is one of the, this is one of the things that you see often is the problem with early specialization. You don't know what the kid has an aptitude for yet. And you don't know what they're going to grow into, what their body type is going to be, what their projected gifts are going to be. So when you early specialize, for example, you know, say I at five foot two early specialized in basketball. Now, does it mean I couldn't be pro? No, it doesn't. However, the likelihood of me being pro over somebody who's like six foot three Mm, maybe not so much, yeah. right? And so, you know, there are other sports that I might be more suited to, i.e. at my height, gymnastics, some, you know, totally. even one of the water sports, um, you know, different things that you don't know yet at that early age. And that pressure of 24-7 practice to that one thing leaves kids uh, very open to what we call in sports psychology, identity foreclosure and um, that means that we are just one thing, right? You don't say that I play football. You say I am a football player. And if you take away that football, what am I? And so it's it's things like that, like the early specialization that leads to, for example, an injury, leaving someone in the psychological position where the, um, the prospect or the psychological impact of a career-ending or threatening injury to an athlete, especially at the higher you go, is likened to the death of a close family member. That's how hard we take it. That's the impact that it has because you haven't developed as much that well-rounded person, for example. And so when you do that and you put somebody into that category so early that that's all they see themselves as, when they start to maybe grow into a way that they're not as good or they're not as tall or their friends don't do it or any of those, you've taken away those options and the places where kids used to be so multifaceted and multi-talented and we embrace that and we let them develop into the person that is most suited for them or the things that they just grow to love. And, and that's really one of the challenges that we don't talk about man, a lot. Man, and, and like you said, and limiting options to me, that's to me that's what makes my life like like I have to have options. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, it, I have to have vanilla or chocolate. I have to have. <laughs> I'm serious, or man. One I, of I, I, no, I'm serious. <laughs> like when when I got to the point where um, 
I was getting recruited by schools. I was asking schools, hey, can I play baseball can I play too? Both, right. Can I play football and baseball? And and if a if a t if a school came to me and was like, no, you got to focus on one. In my mind, they were already eliminated. I wasn't thinking about that school. And the, you know, Missouri was one of the schools that were open to that option for me to play both sports. So, um, yeah, and that, I mean, to me, that's life. Life's about options and having options and not being pigeonholed into one thing. Um, so yeah, I, I just definitely, when, when parents come to me and ask me about that, you know, kids specializing in one sport, I'm like, let them play everything. You know, you never know. You never know. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of parents put their, like you said, pressures and their dreams. They had a dream to be, a, I, I was going to be this baseball player. <laughs> right. So my kid's going to be this Soccer incredible parents. pitcher. And, right. you know, and meanwhile, whatever. they can't yeah. stand baseball. Yeah, they can't exactly. hit a lick, you know, and, and the kid feels like. They're letting their mom and dad, dad down, down. Yeah. and young kids, um, psychologically speaking, a lot of the times they don't have the ability to verbalize that yet. Um, that's where like things like play therapy and stuff comes in where, you know, I might be able to draw myself at soccer practice and I am, I am blue, right? Which means I'm sad. Whereas if I draw myself at swimming, I'm yellow. And that would be, you know, hey, I'm happy over here yeah. and I'm sad over here. But when they say, do you like soccer? They're like, uh-huh. Because it, they're programmed. It, yeah. Right. They're programmed and they know that mom likes soccer. So they don't have that that ability to yet translate. Like, I can't tell mom that I don't like soccer or why I don't like soccer and I love swimming. And so the, the parents just, they in, extrapolate this track that is kind of that transference of I love this, so they love this. And... Um, parents of you, if you're listening, like the truth is that your kid is going to be a very unique combination of a whole lot of likes, dislikes, talents, um, non-talents, like in my book, you know, on some <laughs> of them, like there are things I'm terrible at and you just really don't want me to do it. Like gymnastics, for example, I'm not a flipper. Everybody always says, oh, were you in gymnastics? You look like you're built like it. I'm like, no <laughs> feet on the ground. I would, you know, smack my head. Um, but let them come into that and and do your best to let them be their best at everything that they do. Yeah, I you know, and you I I basketball here was never gonna be on the basketball team. I never had the height that was ever gonna but so I hated it, but I played I was gymnast. I mean every sport. But what what the importance right now, I think, for parents and for coaches is mentoring. Um, and because I, I cringe when I see these parents pull their kids out of school and homeschool them so that they can, you know, when they, when they're managing their social media accounts that have 30,000 and the kid is five years old, it makes me sick in my, and I, and I, I know there's exceptions to the reasons why people do that. Um, but I have a hard time with that, with kids being paid as professionals when they're amateurs, um, and parents living vicariously through their kids, um, how can this generation, because I, I do see this, I do see this scattered throughout the NFL as well from, you know, and I even see it. And there was a question I was going to ask you guys is players not playing in bowl games because of their draft worthiness. Now that goes against, there's two thoughts of thinking there, but that goes against being a team player, which is what football represents and being part of a team. You don't quit on your team. And then also your future. Well, I think there's a there's a whole lot of different things that you said there, and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna just unpack I'm one confused. of them. I'm confused. Well, you know, <laughs> no, I'm no, just no. gonna I'm gonna unpack one of them, and 
you know, I'm just going to start with what you said from a, a bowl games perspective. And it brings me something back to, um, to Bruce Arians. And he, you know, we were talking and he was like, you know, people, coaches a lot of the times miss on players because they get caught on the wrong thing, right? The height, the weight, the, the combine scores. He's like, I want to know how much somebody loves the game. I want to know how much they're, they're going to fight to be in that game. And for me as a coach to translate that forward, if I saw a guy who maybe looked great on paper but stepped out of a bowl game, as long as he was you know healthy, assuming all those things, because he just wanted to preserve his draft worthiness, you just told me a whole lot about your heart. Exactly. And you just told me that I'm not a guy who's going to fight for my guys. And I want the guys who are, you know, I mean, I know for me, like, as a player, I think back about it, and if you, you ever would have watched, no matter how got how good I got, you know where I never came off of? Kickoff team. Uh-huh. You don't take me off kickoff. You know why? That's where we set the tone. That's where I first got my start, and I would stay on that effing team unless you pulled me off. And that was the only way you knew I was injured because you'd take me off kickoff team, and I was going to set that standard every time. And my coaches always said, well, Welter, you're at that point. You don't need to do this anymore. I'm like, oh, no, this is the player that I am. And so I, that's what I look at is that heart factor. Are you going to be that catalyst? Are you going to be the teammate? Are you going to be the leading receiver on the team who, like you said earlier, is going to block his butt off to win a Super Bowl and not get a ball? Because that's what it takes. It takes being that guy, and and those are the guys that you know who – if you're looking at the combine and everything else looks the same on paper, you have the same 40 time, you did the bench press this many times, it's stuff like that that's going to tell me that this guy is going to end up being the guy and he's going to elevate to every challenge. Yeah, you know, it, you know, there was there was a couple of real high profile cases about sitting out of bowl games and the one the one the Christian one, McCaffrey, the, the Christian McCaffrey yeah, um which I've known that kid since he was born. Okay. <laughs> so how old I was. I played with his dad in okay. Denver. Um, and then uh, the Leonard Fournette situation. And uh, I, I look at Leonard Fournette's situation, and everybody, there, you know, there was grief. He, he got some grief on both sides. Uh, on, on one side, he got support on the other side. But when, when I look at him and just his situation alone, just watching the way he played, the passion he played with at LSU, mm-hmm. then he, he gets his ankle rolled up he comes back and plays two games that I don't think he really should have played in because he wasn't 100 mm-hmm. percent. but you saw how he wanted to be out there he wanted to be out there for his team decides to sit out of the bowl game and he got a lot of flack from it hey you're, you're like you said a lot of people hey you're not you're not going to be out there for your guys you're not whatever you're just worried about your draft status well he showed me early in that year right. he was willing to put it on the line for his team he was Definitely not 100. It and it hurt him. It hurt his stats. It hurt his high, his Heisman uh, uh, chances. And for him, you know, to me, I didn't think anything different of the kid for sitting out of the bowl game because he wasn't he wasn't healthy. But as yeah. I said, like I mean, that's why I said yeah. assuming that yeah. they're healthy. Yeah, he right. He, yeah. Assuming they're healthy. But but for me, you know, to me, I don't know, man. Maybe it's because well, my the time I period I played in. 
where going to a bowl was special. Like you didn't go to a bowl game yep. when you were six and five, you yep. know. Well, and and, that, and now and there's there's so many bowl right. games out there. You, you, you've watered it down, you know. Right. You Over. know, like you got teams in there, and you got this six and five team playing a six and six. Right. Team it doesn't. And, if it doesn't and I'm mean like, anything, it doesn't, I mean, it, it, yeah. now you, for you, some random sponsored it, yeah. name bowl game, and then you look in the stands, and it's like. There's seven a lot people. of empty, uh, right. a lot There's of people, people dressed up as empty seats, and, and they're all family members. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but that's what you but, have to know. But right. you know, so you yeah. got to factor all that oh, stuff no, in I, too. Um, see, I think it should go back to how it was: Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Orange Bowl, uh, just a hand, bowl, just a handful of bowls. Five, yeah, those five original five, yeah. and then and have maybe a sprinkle in a few. And yeah, sprinkle one because yeah. you have some independent teams. I, mean, I agree, just, but it but really then, it, then it's special. then it's special and it right. means something. And hey, we're we're going to a exactly. bowl game. Exactly, the Rose Bowl yeah. was always and, and the, Big but Twelve. Or the other thing too that you factor in is now the media outlets. I mean, you you have the MAC conference. You can watch, and I don't. I live in California, but you can watch MAC games every single week. You can watch Big East football, ACC, whatever. ACC. Back then, you know, football was more regional. Regional, and then once they got to a bowl game, you got to see this team on the national stage. Tony now, Dorsett. I remember yeah. seeing Tony finally Tony Dorsett. Yeah. You know, when USC was going, or and I mean, yeah, no. Yeah, and so yeah, it's so you know now you know it's like it's you almost get oversaturated. You almost get fatigue uh, as a as a viewer and as a as a college player you're like wow you know well am i because it used to be oh i'm planning to get this exposure well am i really planning to get the exposure now i mean i've been on tv every week yeah uh well they're even showing kids on high school yeah i mean high yeah. school highlights and parents are upset that am kids I, not getting enough am, highlights. you know it's it, and like i said and then i go back to that like i said earlier is is it truly special when this is the 39th bowl game of bowl season <laughs> right. and, and and it's played right after thanksgiving right <laughs> and it's the it's the Foster Farms yeah. Turkey yeah. Bowl. No. Um, okay, if you're just tuning in, this is Dash Radio, this is Desiree Show. We're gonna we've been talking a lot. There's so much going on right now in the NFL. I'm gonna shift gears a little bit here. Um, three things that stand out. Well, there's four things that stand out for me in the last uh, 24 hours or 48 hours. Obviously, the first thing on the on the table is Eli Manning getting benched uh, for Geno Smith, uh, who threw. 31 interceptions in 30 games. Is that right? My stats are not, I don't have my stats in front of me. Uh, regardless, um, thoughts, immediate thoughts. You wanna, Jen, you wanna Jen go first or, or Byron, who wants, Byron, you want to start with that one? I'll start. Yeah, go ahead. Eli Manning getting benched, I think is the, you know, I think it's the, <laughs> like, uh, what's. Uh, Marshawn had a great tweet on that. <laughs> you saw Marshawn's tweet? Well, my, one of my favorite movies is Blazing Saddles, <laughs> and it's it's like the line in Blazing. I think it's the last act of a desperate man, <laughs> Ben McAdoo. I think he's trying to save his job and trying to show uh, ownership that hey, I'm willing to do anything to try to get this team turned around and and win some games. Uh, do I think it's the right move? One hundred percent not. Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, Geno Smith has shown who he is. Yeah, he is what he is, as as my old coach Denny Green would say. He is what he, he what we thought he is. Um, if you're gonna bench Eli, put in the rookie. Uh, the, put in West. The, uh, uh, what is uh, Davis Webb? Yeah. Put him in and see what he what he brings to the table, because uh, Gino is not the present nor the future of the Giants. Um, I, I love the fact that Eli. 
what he said. You know, I don't want to go out there and extend my streak ju- and start just to extend the streak. You know, if, if you're really in the, and you're going to take me out and put somebody else in. But to me, I, I think um, McAdoo is the guy that needs to be benched. I need they you know, they did to get rid of him <laughs> instead of instead of Eli. I mean, any of us that are in the football circles have heard the rumors that he's lost the locker room and oh, that he had lost the locker room. Oh, yeah. It's visible. But, you know, I mean, but it's different to be visible and to hear it from people who are in the locker room, yeah. right? It, it's and and it's it's not a quiet whisper anymore. Um, and, and so, it, it's obviously like like you said, a desperate move by a desperate man, <laughs> and I don't. I don't think it's uh, unfortunately when you do something like as a coach and you're going to make a drastic change to to get your team behind you you need to be doing it for something that people are going to buy into like I agree. you know like if you had um somebody uh you know let's go back to like Brady Bledsoe right because I'm going to take it out of the current and you know that the guy behind him is really chasing his heels and you see it and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna make this move, right? You're gonna you're gonna push that over. But that and it's came not after an injury. An injury. Right. Yeah. But, but, I'm but saying, when, when he came back. Yeah. And and yeah. you still stayed with him. Yeah. Right. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like when people see it and you know that everybody on the field knows that this guy who is behind your marquee guy, right? We, and we've all been there. Like every athlete in the world has been there. I don't care if you're on offense or defense and you know that the backup has just been busting and is better than the starter and you're waiting for somebody to give that guy a shot and you know that everybody's going to rally around him. That's one thing. But to just make a change, to make a change, and then you're like, well, Eli, you could still start. That That to me was one of the worst things. Like, well, you could still start just to extend the streak, and then we're just going to pull you anyway. Doesn't matter if you go out there and you're 10 for 10 and you're lighting it up and you're up by 100. We're still going to bench you because this is our plan. Everybody's just going seriously. Yeah, you just rolling your eyes and nobody's nobody's with you. And, and a big move has to create a big yeah. I think, I mean, you're 100% right. And that, that Brady uh, Bledsoe situation that you brought up, I mean, like they saw it in practice. Everybody oh, yeah. saw it in practice. Coaches saw it. Players saw it. Bledsoe you saw know, it. I yeah, mean, he, Bledsoe he knew, he knew he the knew. writing was on the wall. They saw it. It, it, it. That just doesn't happen, you know. And I was in a situation where we did the exact same thing. When I talked about Rod Smith, who wound up finishing his career as the Broncos' all-time leading receiver in catches and yards and touchdowns. He's the... He, he's the NFL leader among undrafted players was, with catches, yeah. touchdowns, and yards. And we saw it every day in practice, and we eventually cut a first-round draft pick, Anthony Miller, so Rod could get on the field. And But but this situation, you just you just making the change, basically to, say, to try to save your job, to look good for, for management, to look good for ownership, to say, hey, look, guys, I'm, I'm willing to, to do – you know, put our superstar player, the guy who's brought two Super Bowl championships here to New York, I'm willing to put him on the bench uh, to, to to try to turn things around, to try to shake things up. I, I just think it's a horrible move. And then the other, the other thing that you factor in too is, yeah, you're trying to save your job, but you're messing with this guy's legacy. I mean, this guy is, he's, he's one of, uh, you know, he might not look like it right now, the way his play is going, but He's 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 one of the great ones in NFL history. He's got two Super Bowls over Tom Brady 
I was, I was joking with somebody the, uh, earlier today. I said, you know, when they sit down at the at the dinner table at Thanksgiving or Christmas, uh, mm. you know, Peyton's saying, you know, Peyton's like, you know, I, I, be, I beat Rex Grossman in the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, I beat Rex Grossman and Cam Newton. And he's like, well, I beat Tom Brady twice. Yeah. Right. So, right. you know, he's still, still, on that one. still advantage. Still, still advantage, uh, advantage, Eli. But, you know, just to save your job, I just think it, it's it's a horrible move by Ben McAdoo. And the only way I could go along with this if is if you're going to start Davis, Davis Webb. Webb. If yeah. you're going to put Davis Webb in there and say, hey, you know then what, Eli, you, you played 14 great years for us. It's time that we move on and we got to give this this young guy a chance and to see what we got. You yep. know, we, we, Moving we, forward, you know, we, we don't know We drafted this guy need. pretty high. We want to see what we got, what, what he brings to the table. And you brought up Anthony Miller, and I have to say, I reached out to Anthony Miller and spoke to him as well about you. And I and I said, "What do you have any words?" And he said, "He was he's just a stand up guy, yeah. always good, always hardworking. He was there on my first touchdown. Yep. Um, and just a stand up guy, and he's involved with a lot of the golf tournaments for your charity yeah. as well. And I do want to give you an opportunity to give a little bit about that um, when we close as well. Uh, but lots of love from Anthony Miller. Yeah, Anthony, man, I, I love Anthony. He was. Uh, Anthony, as he still calls me his rookie, you know, <laughs> I was, you know, he was, he was a, one of the veterans when I came in um, as a rookie. And uh, he was one of the guys that I always bought breakfast for, <laughs> had to buy breakfast for. So um, great guy. He, he taught me a lot. He taught me a lot. Just watching him, the way he, his work ethic, the way he, he went about his business. Uh, very, very professional um, and Anthony, five-time Pro Bowler. So yeah, when Anthony's I when awesome. I got to the when I got to the NFL, those were the guys I was seeking out. The guys who I were because I felt like if you're a Pro Bowler, you're best in the business. I need to learn something from you, you know. And he was definitely one of those guys that kind of took me under his wing. Right. And then I've got a quote from uh, from Frosty for you. <laughs> I reached out to Frosty. Frosty, I love Frosty. No way, I yeah. love Frosty. I love Frosty. Hard not to love him. Yeah, he's so good. Uh, Jen, well, what Jen Welter is one of a kind person. She has continued to talk on equality and has proven to gotten the message heard around the world. Oh, he's so good. And I also reached out to Andy Levi, who is the turf manager for the Arizona Cardinals, um, and he was just like, "I will read you his quote." Um, here we go. Said we, she joined us for an internship for training camp, I think in 2015, only became acquainted slightly. Both of our schedules were so overwhelmingly busy that month. But from what I noticed, she fit right in, hardworking and energetic. And that's from? That's from Andy Levi. He is one of, he is the turf manager for the, pretty much you the know, best field in the NFL. See, I that, that, see, that tells me a lot about you without even, you, you know, because one of, one of the things that, that um, I learned at an early age is, is like you, the way you treat people that really have nothing to do with you, like that's a turf manager. Like, and that, he's that's and, the and, best turf and, in the NFL, but, but, though. He's but he's saying, the, yeah. he's saying good things <laughs> no, about you. Totally. You know, and you guys, like, you weren't out there working on the turf. That that just shows me, you know, like, and I always, I always, um, when I go back to like Minnesota and I go back to Denver, and my wife is just, she's amazed how. Everyone in an organization knows me and everyone in the organization, the way they talk about me and, and compliment me to her. Because when I was there, I made sure that I was going to treat everybody like they were special, regardless of whether they were the starting quarterback, the turf manager, the guy who hand, hand out the socks and jocks or whatever. 
I was going to treat everybody like they were like they were they were special and, and they oh, were they definitely remember and they me. remember it yeah the equipment guys they had never had to deal with that before right to, it, yeah, to, yeah like having a girl yeah I just remember the first time they were like okay so coach and you know we're not talking about athletic pants Talking about like Josh, pants, oh. right? And they're like, "Well, what size you wear?" And I was like, "Well, what kind of pants are you talking about, right?" Because I have, yeah. because on girls, it's not like one size fits all. And I had this like traumatic vision of you order some pants for me, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, you know, way too tight. And so I remember I top ended them, right, like on some of them, and they sent me this first pair of pants, and I told them I was a size six, and they were so big. Right, they were khaki pants, which apparently they thought I was going to coach in, which I'm not <laughs> coaching in khaki pants. If I would have gotten into a linebacker stance, it would have been an international incident because <laughs> they could come down without me even unbuttoning them. So these poor guys, like the equipment guys, we used to just laugh often because I'd be like, hey, you know, so how are we going to do this? And they'd just kind of look and we'd be like, I'm going to figure it out. And like even in, in the shorts, right, yeah. like the practice shorts, they were like, well, coach, we don't we don't have those in your size. I said, well, give me the same ones that the guys get. I don't care. And so if you ever look at the pictures, I, yeah, if you ever look at the pictures, they're like Coach Jen in her big red shorts because I took <laughs> the exact same shorts that the guys needed, <laughs> and I didn't care. Yeah. I was like, they, yeah. I'm I'm the same as everybody yeah, else. I'm, I'm just on the team. smaller. Part of the I'm team. just smaller. Just give yeah. me the same stuff. I don't need it any yeah. different. But the equipment managers would probably laugh yeah. if you brought up the name. They'd be like, oh no. No, not the pants, so funny. <laughs> but in the best way, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's those things that you laugh about. Well, and then what Byron brought up as well, though, is what you described is uh, what I've only heard about Bill Belichick and Tom and, uh, and Mr. Kraft uh, and that organization is that they are out going through the food lines every day after lunch uh, for practice and asking how the kid is doing, how the science project went, how his wife's cancer treatment is going. Um, you know, Bill Belichick showing up to people's funerals. But that, that but that's I mean? why. But, that's, but to that's, me, that's, that's why that's those organizations win championships. And I, I, well, I was I when I was that's in Denver. I'm, when I was in Denver, we won our first Super Bowl, and um, we we got a we got a guy, Sin, and Sin is probably the only janitor uh -huh. in America walking around with two Super Bowl rings. Mm -hmm. and, and Mike used to say it. It, it takes everybody. It takes everybody. And we went to our, when we got our Super Bowl rings, he's in there. And Mike, and Mike told him, Mike Shanahan, I, he says, you know, listen, you have to do your job in order for us to do our job. And if you don't do your job, we're not able to do ours. I mean, and, and the guy, he cleaned our locker room every day, mm -hmm. every day. And took pride. And in took pride. Yeah. That's right. and, and we'd come there, the locker room be messed up. You come in the morning and it's, it's immaculate. Nice. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, he, for us to be able to go out there and practice every day, I mean, we needed him, and and uh, and, and he was rewarded like that. And that, that to me, that's just that's the way you do things. Yeah, it's just I the agree. way it's first class. Totally. Well, I mean, even with restaurants, I learned that you are friends with the cooks. People will be yelling at the cooks like, "Damn," you know, like saying oh racial things. And I was just like, "No, do you guys need a shot?" <clears throat> you know, like yeah. or, I mean, you know, like yeah. I mean, I would you those are, you work with people, and if you want a, an end result in whatever you're you always doing, always got to take care of the people that take care of and you. And you treat people how you, you want treat to be treated. Exactly. I yeah. mean, it's just common courtesy. Yeah. Okay, we've got we're running out of time. How much time do we have? We have like we could do a two-hour show easily, but <laughs> we have nine minutes. I want to hit real quick. You know, we brought up um, 
we were speaking about this a little earlier about the Giants' dysfunction. Uh, the Browns are another dysfunctional team. Uh, poor Hugh is in a in a really and Hugh tough Jackson's situation. a great He's guy. Oh guy. my goodness, he's in a really rough situation. Um, however, I I want to also speak about the San Francisco 49ers because I had read Bill Walsh's book just before the season started. Okay, so I've got this false. I don't think it's false though, because what I think it, what I see with the San Francisco 49ers is this rebuilding team, mm -hmm. um, which, and if you saw the footage, and I think a lot of people saw the footage of that first win or the only win they got in that locker room, it, you wanted to jump up and down as well. Um, that is in a rebuilding mode. The Browns, Owen 11. How difficult is it to get to work every day? Because you start to expect to lose all the time, I think. You do in life. If you if bad things happen, you know, and I and we don't have too much time, <clears throat> but um, you know, quick. I mean, you, when you're in that situation, I mean, it's like they say, winning's contagious and losing is too, I, and and, and it, it's a it's a whole attitude, it's a mindset. When I got to Missouri, and Missouri's a total different program right now, but they had went through like ten or eleven straight losing seasons, and they just had a losing mentality. And I get there. Um, Bob Stowe was my coach, uh, head coach. We had Andy Reid on my staff, mm -hmm. uh, Dirk Cutter, Marty Morningwig, Dave Tobe, all these NFL head coaches. But that was the thing that they brought, a whole different mindset. And, and, and that losing mentality was, was immediately out the door if you weren't on board for what they were, what they were selling. And that's what it takes, right? If you're going to change the mindset of an organization, a lot of the times – you really do have to change out the people who are perpetuating that mindset. And it takes time. For the Browns right now, it's man, if, if I'm, well, it, it has to be everything, right? There's nothing that's given anybody the hope that that's going to change, right? There's been no real consistency or movement or, you know, anything. And the only way that's going to change is if the lock, if, if the, the players take it on themselves at this point to, to change it, and that's hard. Right? And let, me, let me mention this about Cleveland again. And we talked. I said this earlier. Hugh Jackson, great guy, great coach. Totally. Love that guy to death. Could he be the guy to do it? Yes. Do I think they need fire sales and wholesale changes? Yes. Yeah. I think they need to bring. But they have to let him. They do gotta it. let him do it though. Well, they, yeah, because you, can, he's you can't micromanage. But I mean, yeah, you you gotta let the guy do it. I and agree. That's a, and that's a lot of the times with with coaches, what people don't see, you may have as a coaching staff and a head coach the absolute best freaking personnel plan out there. We know we can get this guy, we can do this guy, you get this guy, boom, boom, and then you go to the GM or the owners and this, and they're like, yeah, you yeah, can't get that, guy. Get that guy. Uh, we're not going to give you that money, even if it's in the, you know, even if your cap is here, we're going to put you, you know, well below it, and, you know, we, we, we can't make those moves this season. We can't be drastic. Like, to and then them, And them giving money to a guy that he doesn't believe in, the coach doesn't believe right. in, because they brought Osweiler in and gave him a ton of money, too. Right. And I don't know, I don't really believe he was on board with that, but, well, but he had to go with it. Jameis Winston. But he had to go with Not Jameis Winston, but... Um, uh, Manziel? No, not... Well, that oh. was, uh, yeah. That's another... <laughs> that's another <laughs> Thank God Travis no. Benjamin got out of there. I think when I interviewed him the first time in San Diego, he was just, like, number one grateful. I have a quarterback, right. you know? And, like, and, I mean, that's so much of it. You, like... The, the coaches and you know I don't know Hugh but I've I've always heard the greatest thing is like you may have the greatest game plan in the world but they have to give him the authority and the the ability to maneuver to make that change and it's gonna take you know a complete overhaul in, in Cleveland to be able to do it San Francisco 
seems to be a little bit more of a different animal. I mean, they are all new, right? And so to to change it and to to really get your team into the position where you want it to be a winning organization, it doesn't happen in one year. Yeah, they need time. No, they need time. Well, no, and I think they buy into Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got he is the perfect coach, new coach. You know, obviously, and uh, one just down the street as yeah. well is doing phenomenal, Sean McVay. Um, but you know, I, li- I like Kyle. I've known Kyle for uh, ever again. Yeah, uh, I, was gonna, I he, assume he, he has a great mentor that he talks to every day. Is his dad, and and um, they have a, another former teammate of mine, John Lynch, is there as a GM, first time GM. So, but I, I, I want to. I, I'm definitely rooting for them. I, I, I want I to see too. them every do week. Well. I'm like, come on. I, 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 I want to see them get things turned around there. It looks like. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be that guy for them, and, and that and that's the other thing it takes. If you if you got a quarterback, if you got somebody in that spot that you can build around, and Jimmy looks like the guy that 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 you can, uh, you got a chance. Yeah. All right. Two. Okay. Now we've got to really wind it up. We got about four minutes left. Is that about right? Okay. So uh, teams right now in the league that are hottest. I mean, we, AFC. Everybody's talking about the Chargers now. They started what? Owen. They started skidding in here, and now the AFC that was supposed to be the best is now the worst. Uh, but the Chargers look really tough. Yeah, the Chargers are playing great right now. The the way they're going. My surprise team, though, you know, in the in the Kansas City AFC is, is Jacksonville. Oh. The way Jacksonville. Has, that's has Calais, come, though. Yeah, I think Calais boy, Campbell Calais, is definitely that's you know, your boy. Uh, who's boy <laughs> no, again? That's mine. Wait, get again. Get again. Why are we fighting okay, all over? Listen. Will, no, we don't even go there. because See, Sean's I've, my boy. Sean I've Phillips known, is my buddy. My boy. I've <laughs> known Calais Campbell since he was 10 years old. Okay, Can, so you've known him longer, but he probably loves me more and I'm cuter. I disagree. I'm definitely cuter. Yeah, you're definitely cuter. You are cuter, yeah. But no, Calais. is my little brother, man. I've known him forever. Jacksonville. He is one of my favorites. His sister is was one of my Keon? best friends. Keon? No, yeah. come on, Keon's my girl. Come uh, on, now. come on now. We're just gonna have. We just gonna Rod, have. A, Rod used to live with me. Look, we we're gonna have a whole like family. Severin, all the, oh, we're gonna need too to many. see those text yeah. message threads of both of your phones. Calais was actually the first guy that I met when I went into Arizona. Nice. You know, so you walk in and here's six foot eight Calais, and he's just looking down at five foot two so, me and. And he's just probably he's, give you a big hug. He's wonderful. Oh yeah, he's wonderful. We definitely got to take a photo and send yeah. it to. Oh yeah, clients. we got we got to send it to all these yeah, guys. Yeah. We're taking a photo. But, but uh, um, yeah, no. What what they've done good. in Jacksonville, incredible. Although I mean, Arizona got them. Yeah, I, yeah, Arizona did. Now that was actually on Jacksonville, but, but we yeah, don't have yeah. time to discuss that. Okay, this week we've got. Um, uh, we have actually for my show we do this beat the outsiders as well, and it's all professional skateboarders mm-hmm. who are all part of this uh, weekly pickums called Outside the NFL. Okay, but I would love to have you guys as guests on that as well. If you want to uh, put in picks for this week, I can put them in as your guest picks, okay. um, or you're always welcome to come on the show for that as well. Uh, but we are we're running out of time. Unfortunately, I I do want to say uh, Dr. Jen Welter has a book coming out uh, or is out out right now is available. Um, I want to share that link. Uh, You want to can you can you give the where people can buy that right now? Oh, yeah, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of the major outlets. It's kind of nice to see a a woman in football on the football shelves. Um, But it's called Play Big Lessons in Living Limitless from the first woman to 
coach in the NFL and um, it's a lot of the fun stories, but a lot of the reasons why, you know, things worked in a, in a situation where people thought it was kind of impossible and, and pieces of my journey and how it got there. So it's a fun read. Um, and a lot of it just really honors the game of football and um, those lessons that it taught me in life. It definitely has made me a bigger human. And, um, you know, as Frosty said, it's, and it's something I would definitely want to close with from my perspective is one of the reasons I'm just enchanted with football and I love it so much is because when you look out on the field, it's so clear that it doesn't work if everybody looks the same, right? It requires diversity at its face and to its core to be successful. And that game has given me a football family um, that is global and it's it's women and men who I've played with played against coached with and coached against of every make model shape size creed and color and we don't see different colors at that point we see one like you know with Cardinals we're, we're red right yeah. and that's red what game. matters that's right right on right on and um, and Byron as well Byron has a really special charity a foundation as well giving back to kids on a, a multitude of levels um, we are, I don't know how, we don't have much time anymore, um, but I will. Just real quickly, I, I work with the NFL alumni. I'm the vice president. I'm actually running for the president. And, and um, that is, our, our mission, our goal is, is caring for kids. And so we do several events a year, whether they're golf tournaments, uh, get-togethers or whatever, fundraisers, um, where we, uh, we raise money for all different type of youth organizations uh, here in Southern California, so. Uh, if you see any of our events with the NFL alumni, please support us. Right on. And follow the Desiree Show on on Facebook and the blog and Instagram, and I will be posting these links as well. Thanks, you guys, so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you so much, Byron and Jen, for coming in studio today. I would love to have you guys on again. This was really special. Uh, thanks to uh, Frosty Rutgers, uh, Anthony Miller, uh, Brandon Malamalayuna, and Andy Levi for some quotes. And you guys tune in. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, Jeff Ament will be in studio for our Beat the Outsiders. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio, and I'm out. Are you tired of pain, taking pills, whether over-the-counter or otherwise? Are you looking for a natural way to help your body and your sanity that's also affordable, drug-free, and will block your pain? This is Desiree Astorga, and I am grateful to have partnered with a brand I truly believe in, a product I use, and to have Biomedical Life Systems as a sponsor of the Desiree Show podcast. Rebound Sport is your answer. It is for me. This amazing stimulator works with your body to alleviate pains due to overexertion, soreness, even helps strengthen your muscles. Head over to BMLS.com and order yours today.